It's good to have you here with us. If you could open your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 3. And while even though we've made it into the next chapter, really what we're reading belongs in chapter 1. Because we're still proceeding through, walking through the days of Genesis. The days of creation. And on this last day, God isn't, he's making something. He's creating something, but not really a something per se. He's creating a time. He's creating a season. A holiday, if you will, for humanity. Which is the title of this sermon this morning. A holiday for humanity. Let's read God's holy, inerrant word. Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You know, when we're reading the creation account, and we see how God directs everything at the benefit of humanity in the way he crafted the world, we can sometimes be distracted to think the world's all about us. That the most important day was when God made man in his image to reflect his likeness, to be representatives, the invisible God made visible. But we'd be mistaken if we came to that. Because there's only one day that's re repeated three times. How many times did I read the seventh day? That the seventh day is the one that was made holy, special. It's God's holy day that's the pinnacle. That's actually which the aim of all, direct, all creation is directed at. It's aimed at God's glory. It's aimed at a relationship with God between him and his creatures. That's the aim of it all. And yet, even here, even when we see this creation of this day, this time, to be focused on God... Even this is a blessing that is to be a blessing for humanity. All humanity. That's the creation intent. You see, holiday. Sometimes usually people say holiday just to skip over saying Christmas or Easter and just want to have more of a secular idea of a holiday, a time of celebration where you take off time from work and you focus on some sort of festivity. But a holiday is actually a more accurate term for what people usually think of. A holy day, as some of you might have even figured out while I was saying it. Just switch the I in holiday to a Y and you'll get the picture. But in reality, we have lots of holy days as human beings. We have many times of celebration, which we celebrate whether God provides us with food 
God protects us in our country, where we focus on the incarnation or focus on the resurrection at Easter. All these are great holidays. But I think this, those holidays, the ones that we have invented, are the ones that Romans 14 speaks of. When Romans 14, verse 5 says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it to the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in the honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. That is to say, I don't have any problem. You know, there might be some people with qualms about celebrating different holidays. Well, maybe the term doesn't, isn't the best. I understand the significance of it, and I think it's completely fine to enjoy and celebrate the holidays. And if we think about the holidays, what makes them so special? Why is it a time of celebration? Isn't it as if, like as we're moving into this time, that there's something in the air? There's a certain joy that permeates everything, whether it's through good food, or good music, classic movies, and even cheesy movies. There's something special about this time of year that makes it fun. And it actually grieves our heart when we see people who have to work on the holidays, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but when I see stores open on Christmas, it makes me sad that employers have chosen to make their employees work on Christmas instead of spending time with their families because they value profit more than the lives of those whom serve them. There's a certain sense in which we understand that there is a need for celebration. And even if you don't like the holidays or the holiday seasons and you're more of a curmudgeon, which I could be from time to time, you know what's something everyone likes about the holidays? It's something that's actually definitional to what makes a holiday a holiday. It's the time that you get off work. That you don't have to go into work. And you can just spend time with family, creating new memories that bring you joy to reflect on. And this holiday that God makes is no different. And as we look at God's holy day that he makes... For all humanity to celebrate, it's not really any different from the definition I found in Webster's Dictionary. The definition of a holiday is a day of festivity or recreation when no work is done. So let's look at that first. We'll look at the taking, the time, that we, the taking time off of work. We'll look at the aspect of the holiday festivities. And we'll end up looking at how Really, the meaning behind it all is a call to remember the past. Taking time off work, holiday festivities, and remembering the past. Let's look at this first one, the taking time off work. We're told in verse 1 and 2 
that the heavens and the earth were finished, completed, and all the hosts of them. And that word for host is just multitude. It's in reference, this is a summary statement in reference, looking at the creation, God has made the heavens and the earth, well, he did that on Genesis 1-1, didn't he? What did he do from Genesis 1-2 to all the way to 31? He filled it with a multitude of things. Host is kind of an old word, so I apologize on behalf of the ESV for that one. He filled it. That's what he did with his creation. What he finished and came to completion was specifically his work of creation. You see, God did not, when he finished his work and rested on the seventh day, God is not getting tired. Isn't that a curious thing? Why did God rest? I came across a helpful illustration of this. The illustration of someone who's running for president. They spend maybe even four years now, it seems like it gets longer and longer, a season of campaigning. And the presidential candidate who goes, travels across the country and does all this work of campaigning, that work finally ends if they're elected to the office of president. All that work is over. But they don't go from work to no work. It's a shift of kinds of work. They worked so hard so that they could be done with campaigning and move on to the business of running the country. And I can't think of a better metaphor for what's going on here. Because what we have is the sovereign God of the universe having made everything And just like a king, every time he speaks, his subjects listen to him. And the rest that he comes to is a rest of completion of his work. And he doesn't now do nothing. God is no longer, is not somehow disconnected with the creation that he just made. But he continues with a different kind of work. This is exactly what Jesus said. John chapter 5, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees who don't understand what God's word teaches about the Sabbath, about this holy day we're speaking about. They think that God's commands of his people arrest of inactivity. So when Jesus heals a man, and Jesus tells the man to stand who, could know, who couldn't walk and told him to pick up his mat and carry it throughout the temple, the Pharisees got really angry at Jesus. And Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verse 16. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things, both that is both healing people and telling them to do activities which they told people not to do. Notice not what God's word tells us not to do. For because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17 says, the very next verse says, But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. 
This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, that is, by their, from their perspective, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus, in this claim of divinity, which is probably the main point of that passage, there's something else there that's relevant to our text this morning. He says that his father is working. Of course, the Son of God would be found working. You see, when God finished his work of creation, he continued his work preserving his creation, the word that we call providence. And even farther after that, after the fall, a new work began. God's work of redemption. And that's exactly the work that Jesus is at work doing. This is not a work of inactivity. It's a work of completion of the job that he set out to do. In the, in the Hebrew, that word for work found in Genesis chapter 2 is very clear. It's the same word that we have for a job. God finished his job of creation. If we pause for a moment, what does that say about God's creation? About the world that he made? That God arrived at the end on day six and said, I'm not going to add to it or take away from it. I'm done forever. What it says about creation is something that we don't see today, which is so important that we learn about. Which is, in the beginning, God made everything good. And he says that seven times. After every time he makes something, completes some task, he says it was good. And he ends off with a final summarizing statement in verse 31 of chapter 1. Saying, the whole creation, everything that he made was very good. We need to know that. Because God is not the author of sin. What this means is God is not the author of evil. In the words of Romans chapter 8, verse 19... Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8, our redemption. That Christ is going to bring full salvation to his people. And look what he says in verse 19 of Romans chapter 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willing, not willingly rather... But because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Or in the next word, that, or the next verse, that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. Dear Christian, when you look at the world... It's not the way it's supposed to be. Don't you all know that? I'm not introducing anything new. Sin, evil, wars, rumors of wars, slander. It's not part of the way the world's supposed to be. Death, 
disease. It's not part of the world the way it's meant to be. And this applies not just... In Romans 8, it's so clear. It doesn't just apply to humanity. It actually applies to even the natural realm. We see God is still at work after the fall. Genesis 3.18, God creates something. He creates thorns and briars as part of the curse. What's the explanation for why things die? Why death, disease, and destruction and evil is such an integral part of the fabric of this world? The rest of Genesis chapter 2 and into Genesis chapter 3 will tell us that sin is our responsibility. That this world is under the curse of God. That's why death exists. Because God's wrath against evil, which is perpetrated by all of Adam's sons. That's why the creation groans, because the creation was put under Adam. He was the one who was given dominion over every living thing. And once the king came under curse, so did his subjects. Think about this world, just looking at it. Something that comes to my mind is something I read in a little school article. I, I don't know what grade I was in. I'm at, at sometime in middle school, maybe in eighth grade. You know, there's some particularly gruesome things in nature. I'm going to try my best not to go into it. I, it's kind of fascinating. But when you look at sharks, do you know that sharks, when they carry... They, they might have a lot of babies in their womb, but only one makes it out alive. Because all the sharks in their mother's womb eat one another. They're cannibals from the womb. And only the biggest and the strongest one makes it out. Christian, we don't need to look at that and say, how has God made this world and why is evil such an integral part of it why is death part of the cycle of life that there's this whole ecosystem built upon death disease and destruction it's because of the fall that's why it's the same reason why we have fleas why we have viruses why we have i'm going to add probably roaches <laughs> not beetles but roaches in particular seem to be part of the fall. There is evidence here. What we look at and why we need to be so sure of this, or rather why we're presented in Scripture, is that when we look at evil and its marks in the world, it's not the good wor world as God created it. What we're looking at when we look at the world at every dimension and every facet is a world that has been corrupted. And that's down to the very appearance of it. God is not the author of sin. And although nature now is red in tooth and claw, while it's not in rebellion in the sense that it's outside of God's control, he's not the author of it. 
That's a very important thing in understanding about our world. But we're, we're talking about the holidays, not about sharks <laughs> eating one another and doing awful things. What we're talking about here is a particular kind of thing that's happening. Literally, the word for the holiday that we're given here in Genesis chapter 2 is Sabbath. The word Sabbath is a Hebrew word, so that doesn't really help in telling you the definition of it. The word Sabbath just means to cease, to stop. And the implication behind that, if you're ceasing and stop, stopping, is to rest. But just like the holiday definition, it, that it's a day of festivity when no work is done... The no work that is done, the reason why you're pausing one type of activity is so you can do another kind of activity. God is pausing his creative work and he's made that a pattern for his image bearers to repeat. So let's look at the holiday festivities, particularly of this Sabbath. If you would, turn with me and this is Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It gives us a very particular application of this text. If you notice in verse 3, was the first time in Scripture in which the narrative paused, the editor made a commentary on the text and said, this seventh day is a day that God blessed to, and made it holy because of what he did. He rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Almost all the same language, written by the exact same author, is found in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, which is the fourth commandment, where we're told to remember the Sabbath day, the day where we stop, to keep it holy. Six days you shall, do, you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For, aka reason, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, the Ten Commandments are actually distinct from the rest of the Mosaic law. It's the only law that was written with God's finger. Exodus 31 verse 18 tells us. It is the moral law. It's the summary of duties that really we have written on our own hearts. In the context of Genesis, we were just told that man was made in the image of God. And part of that image was imitating God's dominion. Imitating God's sovereign exercise of authority over the earth. But the other way... It's just imitating God in general. We looked at this last week. That 
part of this image is the fact of our very creation, that we've been given capabilities for the task that God has given us. That it's part of our relationship, that we have a unique relationship with God and also with other image bearers. But the emphasis of the scripture seems to be, at least where I come across it, is almost always on the task that God has given us. The call to humanity to image and reflect God. Why did God make the world in six days and rest on the seventh day? He's providing for us a pattern for our own lives. See, God, when he made the world, he didn't just do it on a whim. God had a plan from all eternity. And just as he crafted each subject, all the multitude of things that he made to the benefit of humanity, he even patterned his very creation in such a way that would instruct us how to live. We are told explicitly that we're to remember the Sabbath day because we're to pattern our lives off of God's very created activity. Who does this apply to then? Well, all we have to do is ask ourselves, who's created in the image of God? It's the calling of human beings to remember this day of rest. It's built into our own natural capacities, isn't it? What happens when you don't rest? You die. What happens when you don't worship God? You die. We all have this built in. We have this built into our very fabric of our being. You know, there's every human being rest, stops from working. If anything, our body will force us to stop eventually. It's also true that we still have not found a people group that does not worship something. You go find some tribe, they're worshiping some god, some way, some time, with some festivity. Our festivities are not about so much what we don't do, but it's about what we do do. I tried to separate that out a little bit more for your sakes. But think about what this would have sounded like to Moses' original audience. His original audience, at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, God is talking to people who he just freed from slavery. How good would it sound that God did not just cause them to work and maybe just some point, you know, four times a year there's a festive season, but that God established for people who were enslaved, a weekly rest, a time to put aside all their works and to worship God, to do the things that God has called them to do, it would have sounded glorious, wouldn't it? I think this is part of the reason why we don't really value a day of rest. Why people think fishing is better to do on a Sunday or some sports. I'm not trying to target any one individual in here. I'm just trying to say that there's this, we have this culture which we want to work and we constantly are at work. Or we see our days off as things that our employer gives us. We're not 
slaves in this room. We've been given two days off a week, not just even one, because our employer is so generous with us. And those two days are our days to do what we want to do with them. And when it comes to a rest of worship in relation with God, what we think is God's trying to rob me of one of my days off. How foolish is that? Your employer can take away that rest from you. But God has given you a rest in him that gives you true rest. And it's not just inactivity. He gives you a rest for your soul. He energizes you. That's why we're here on a Sunday morning. Don't we see in our worship that God animates us? That his Holy Spirit fills us and causes us to have joy in these festivities? Our festivities are what we're doing now. It's festivities of worship. And our worship does not look like the Old Testament, does it? Nor do our Sabbath days, plural. But we still have a day of rest, as we saw in the book of Hebrews. That there's still a rest that we have in Christ, which we worship Him for and are thankful for Him too. And we also have a Sabbath rest that we're looking forward to. Because right now, as we sung in the song, God had given us, we thank God for giving us your son and leaving your spirit till the work on earth is done. In the midst of all this work, we still need rest. In line with this, when we talk about these festivities, oftentimes where Christians are come up with their own little mishnas, their own list of rules of what you should not do on the Sabbath. I'm saying, what I'm telling you here is that in the Ten Commandments, that's for all humanity, or even in creation, in our very design, that we're created for this rest of worship in God and it applies to all humanity. And so we don't fall into the same trapping that the Jews did 2,000 years ago. It's important to hear Jesus' words and teaching on the subject, especially since he is the true and perfect image of God. He tells us in Mark chapter 2, verse 24, which you might be a little familiar with. Maybe I'm more familiar with it. When they're looking at Jesus and they're looking for when he's going to do some sort of activity that breaks the Sabbath, Jesus instructs them and says, what, what are you talking about? This is chapter 2, verse 25. Have you never read when Dave, what David did when he was in need and was hungry? When he goes down, he explains the situation of what David went through. Saying that, are you saying that the Bible teaches inactivity, that you're not allowed to do any work of any kind? What about needs? What about doctors? What about police officers? Are we saying that they can't do their jobs? No. We, let's not go to the ridiculous conclusions that we could possibly go to by saying no work on a day of rest. It's not talking about needs. It's not talking about in chapter 3 where Jesus says to them when he's about to heal a man and the Jews are about to ready to pounce on Jesus for healing someone on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them in chapter 3 verse 4, Is it not lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? 
but they were silent. And he looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Works of necessity. Mothers don't take a day off, do they? Fathers, you could probably help your wives with that on a day of rest. Do you know why? It's not because you're called to inactivity. It's called, you're called to love and serve your spouse. Help her rest. Help her to enjoy worship. The key feature here, when trying to go through all the different nuances and categories, we don't want to get on all the trappings. It's okay to do what's good, okay? It's okay to do what's good. If someone has a need, you help them in their need. If you want to do a good work of mercy towards someone who needs help, of course you do it. The principle is laid out in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, in the center of this teaching of Jesus, where he says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. Whose day is the Sabbath day holy to? Holy to God. Part of the, perpetu the perpetual nature of the fourth commandment is the fact that Jesus is also Lord of it. It's to him that worship and honor is due. And the other part is that we're still human beings. Stopping from our normal work to worship the living God is still just as necessary to the flourishing of our souls as it was in the beginning. Because we're created to relate and worship God. But what's the reason for the season? Well, we're told already in Exodus chapter 20, that we're called to remember it. That's how we keep it holy. That we do just as God did. All our job, six days a week, and one day holy to the Lord. We remember the reason for the season. And the reason for the season is found in the past. In creation for Adam and Eve, it looked like remembering God's pattern of creation. That's still relevant today. But after the fall, we have another reason. Something else to rest on. You see, the Ten Commandments are actually repeated twice. Not just in Exodus chapter 20, but also in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12, we're told, Observe the Sabbath day. Keep it holy as the Lord God, your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. Sounds all the same, right? What's the point of difference? The point of difference is the reason for it. Verse uh, 14 says that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out 
from there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the seventh or the Sabbath day. God is not just the creator of the universe after the fall. God is also the redeemer of sinners. We worship God for who he is. Yes, as creator, but we reflect on something more important than that if you belong to God. If you have put your trust in him and look to him as your only hope in life and death, he's not just your creator, but he redeems you. Have you ever thought why Christians worship on Sunday? We just talked about the seventh day as the day in which Jews, or really since the creation, before Hebrews ever existed, people worshiped on the seventh day, or at least that was the call. The reason why we worship on Sunday is it's the first day of the week. And more important than that is the day Jesus rose from the dead. Our day of worship, the day we worship, is rooted in the fact that God's promised rest for humanity, rest in the salvation that comes from him, was brought to completion in Jesus Christ. We were not saved from slavery, or at least I wasn't, and my people weren't. I'm not ethnically Jewish, I don't think at all. But I do have a salvation and I do have a savior I was not saved from slavery in Egypt but Ephesians chapter 2 tells me that I was saved out of slavery to the devil I was saved out of slavery to doing evil in his will from the corruption and futility that belongs to this world that's why the New Testament we see Christians worshiping on what they call the first day of the week the Lord's day. Whether you see it in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, where they're they tell them during worship to collect offering for those who are in need on the Lord's day, or in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, you see Jesus appear to John on the first day of the week, the Lord's day, just as he did in all of his resurrection appearances. We have a pattern set for us in Christians, a point in time to remember that's in the past, yes, creation, but greater than that for us Christians is redemption. We have a great reason to worship God. What's our holy day? What holiday do we have that's given by God? It's one that we get to celebrate every week. We're all here because we took time off work. Whether we are using our own time that someone else gave us, or we had to ask our employer to give us this day off, we're all here because we had to pause from our work to rest and seek to worship God as he has commanded us. Not out of obligation or sense of duty, or at least I hope not, but out of a love for our God. You know, people feel intrinsically motivated when they engage in activities that they find interesting, enjoyable, and meaningful. Do you find worship? Do you find Sundays 
a day of rest, a day where you get joy from meeting with God's people, from hearing God's word, from singing God's praises, from getting the chance or forgetting the chance for praying all with one another. Isaiah chapter 58 verse, verse uh, 13 tells us what this principle is of the Sabbath day. It's a day in which we delight in our God, for he is good. We have to be careful here. Because when we're talking about God's commands, there's another word for that. It's law. And it's so easy for Christians to be about keeping the law, doing what's right, believing the right things, that we look with disdain upon those who don't. That is not the gospel. You feel like you can't keep the fourth commandment. Neither can I. Neither, neither can anyone for that matter. And if you look at any of the Ten Commandments and think, oh, you know, I got that one down. I think I got that one perfect. You don't. When we examine what God's law requires of us, that should drive us to our need of Christ. It should expose our sin and our sinfulness. Do you not delight in the Lord? Do you struggle with that? I struggle with that. I choose to, all the time, think about other things, to do my own job, to pursue tasks that, you know, God gave me six other days of the week where I can pursue my own works. But I oftentimes want to take back some of that day. I don't get joy every time I come to a worship service. I hate to break it to you that I am a sinner in need of God's grace. The gospel is what Jesus has done to save sinners. And that gospel is something you need to believe in. Because the warning of Hebrews chapter 4 still stands before us. That those who are promised rest in God... And there, quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he applies it to our salvation. The rest that was held out to the Israelites in the wilderness. And the book of Hebrews warns that they died without receiving that rest because they did not unite to God's promises, faith. You know... We don't need to be worried that we fall so short of God's law. We all know that. What we should worry about is that we haven't joined our faith and trust to the only one who can save us. That we haven't done the very easy thing of crying out to God saying, Have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's what we should be worried about. We should, yes, be concerned that we do things right. We should as Christians and believers. We don't want to continue murdering people. We don't want to continue sinning that grace might abound. But we must not lose the gospel. That we need to call sinners to rest in Christ. To put their trust in Christ. Have you done that? 
Have you experienced the joy that comes from that? The joy of knowing the living God? The joy then that comes from worship? That's where the law is also helpful. It shows us, you know, when the Holy Spirit works on his heart, when we reach out in faith, God produces within us a love for him and a love for his ways. And it brings us joy. But we don't need to get the order reversed. For the sake of our souls, we cannot get it reversed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the good news to sinners is not law. Not what your standard is for us. For we have all fallen short of that. We are thankful that the God of the Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath, has not only let himself remain just our creator, but he's also made himself our Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may anyone who has not been granted freedom from their slavery, freedom for thinking that life is just about serving ourselves, may you grant them salvation, grant them freedom, May you cause their hearts to cry out to God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And when they do that, may they know that they are forgiven and they belong to you and rejoice in the God who they love. Lord, it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you could